0: Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I'm joined by Chris Legg and Bryn Starnes. This is Reconstructed Faith. Well, welcome back to the Reconstructed Faith podcast. My name is Colson Lechner, alongside my regular partners in crime, Bryn Starnes and Chris Legg. Um, and today we have a special guest um, in all the way from, I think it's Charlottesville, Virginia. Is that right?
1: That's correct. Yeah. Awesome. Central, Central Virginia. Nice.
0: Okay. <laughs> and so I'm going to kick it over to um, to Chris Lake to kind of do our intro and get our conversation started.
2: Awesome. Well, our, our extra
0: special guest today is
2: David Zoll. And David and I have run into each other a few times over the years in different ways. But I think what's David's one of those guys that I think we've had maybe one or two in-depth conversations and both of them were just, at least for me, so life giving and challenging and encouraging that I feel like they've had kind of an inordinate effect on my ministry than just a couple of conversations should have had. Um, mm. uh, there's just a kindred spirit there that at least that I experienced and a challenge to my way of thinking as well. Um, that's been really healthy. And so getting to hear him speak recently, um, at a conference at the Mockingbird uh, I guess it's called the Mockingbird conference here that we hosted that that Matt McGill hosted here I don't remember what the actual official name that is the name of your ministry though um, is Mockingbird and i I feel like it was well over a decade ago when you and I and Matt I think we were on the restaurant up on a hill for so the first time we had we got to meet and have those conversations and we were talking about, the gospel according to Pixar,
1: if I remember correctly. Is that right? Am I remembering that that's, right? That's correct. But what you and I really talked about was rest and the restlessness and that's as, right. as, a, as a sort of a spiritual vanguard almost. And uh, you you put things into words for me in a way that uh, I'd say the feeling is mutual. I ended up talking about those themes for for years afterwards and seeing it everywhere. And you, you really opened my eyes to that, Chris. I'm not, <laughs> I'm, I'm not blowing smoke. It was a real... <laughs> well,
0: that's, that's actually really interesting because yeah. you talked about rest in your sermon yesterday. I really
2: and did, so, yeah. yeah that's really cool.
0: And how hard it was. So that probably means we're talking,
2: what, 2010... 2011 somewhere around there must have been must have been
1: yeah I think that I think that's when it was maybe 2010
2: because that's when I was I'd been spending a couple of years really digging into the concepts of, of rest and what that means and how well, the church had was really we just didn't have any idea what we're talking about anymore like we had totally forgotten these this skill set and this teaching and so understanding to look um kind of at uh I don't know sideways scans outside of the box a little bit of the normal the normal easy answers that, that modern American churches had reached. Well, that's, again, that fits somehow into this podcast as well. I, I will tell you um, if, if anybody wants to, um, as we go through, I'm sure this will be on our, uh, on our, on the podcast notes and stuff kind of like that, that the, the Mockingbird website, which is, is that mbird.com? That's right. Yep. Okay. So at mbird.com um, was more about the ministry there. And I'm sure we'll be get to hear some more about, uh, what David's been doing. So, what I would love, David, is I, it's it's hard for me to imagine that you you come at your faith. Um, I feel like if it's correct to say, from a different angle than a lot of people do, um, you look at it either inwardly or outwardly with um, a different set of eyes, and I that's what I really love and appreciate about you. And I've got to assume that the connected to that is a story uh, as how how you began to see the Christian faith as something that you could legitimately authentically a spouse, um, without having to, that, that you could, you could engage with the gospel without having to buy some of the stuff that comes with it sometimes. Mm. Um, and, and for me that, that was as close that, that was my version of kind of deconstructing. I was, I was because of the freedom and we've told, we've talked to several people and this is a pattern, but because of the freedom I had to deconstruct and reconstruct simultaneously because of the, people I had around me. I didn't feel the need to throw everything out and start over. I was able to to take pieces and and say, okay, you know what? I'm not sure this is what I believe the Bible actually teaches, or I'm not sure this is what I actually think is right. And I was able to do that, and it was really I'm um, freeing. And so I, I just had in mind, you would be another person for our audiences who either have deconstructed, are in the process of deconstructing, or are coming back and reconstructing um, their faith that I thought, man, there's going to be some people who would love to hear David's input on this. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your story of your connection to faith, how that happened. And then, and then we can follow up from there and just, I'm, I'm sure the questions will come. No problem.
1: Sure. Wow. Well, thanks, Chris. That's a great introduction. And um, I just applaud you guys. It's such a, it's such a fertile ground to talk about. I, I actually, as, as, as the conversations around deconstruction, reconstruction continue to evolve, um, you know, it can become a buzzword or something. But I think what it captures is something really important and something that's not um, it, it, there. I, I can feel in myself a temptation to want to roll my eyes sometimes. And I can right. feel or to overly take something too seriously. But I think it is a really important subject. And I. Um, one we're talking about, I, I I honestly think that the process that the the life of being a Christian for me is a constant state of deconstruction and reconstruction. <laughs> At least if you're, you know, in my um, as a person who has to write and uh, is you know been given the opportunity to speak and preach about the faith, I think you you constantly have to be in touch with what you actually. Uh, believe and where the text uh or the the where god is working in your own life and that's why it can be very exhausting it's also why people just decide to check out and kind of toe a party line and it's too painful it's too um uh it's too much interrogation to to constantly be taking your own pulse but i think the the, the, Mm -hmm. the the well of um authentic uh genuine you might even just say um heartfelt preaching has to come from someone who's, uh, actively engaged, whose heart and mind is actively engaged with the gospel. Um, and so now, I mean, I came, I'm coming from a, a background, uh, where I grew up in the main line of the Episcopal church, which doesn't actually give people much to deconstruct it. Um, and that's, I, I don't mean to be flippant about it, but, uh, there they represent it represents kind of a um an in a reaction against certain forms of christianity that are hugely doctrinal and maybe oppressive and it would be in a more loose shall we say expression of the faith that because it doesn't give people anything to deconstruct, it, it doesn't give them anything to reconstruct either. Or to it doesn't give them, you know, frequently, uh, you know, wow. church. That, it's a church that's dying fast, mm. and it's dying mm. fast partly because it gave people nothing to not only to react against, but also to uh, to embrace wow. and to 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 really be a part of. Now, I come from a a wing of the Episcopal Church which is more low church evangelical, and it's and it's kind of the a Protestant end of that. If you're interested in this historically, it is quite interesting, but um, especially after we were doing this right after the coronation in which uh, yeah, this this was highlighted for the, on the world stage. But um, I have, I was in um, part of being a part of the mainline church was that I was buffeted from some of the more cultural aspects of, uh, or cultural Christianity, or cultural evangelicalism that, that people seem to have, that it, that have really, um, hurt people. Um, and so so when I've watched some of my peers deconstruct and, uh, really have to reevaluate everything, part of it's like, I didn't actually have that experience of the faith. Now I can understand that people did. So so it's, uh, I, I, but I feel privileged the older I get that I wasn't, um, that there wasn't, it wasn't, uh, you know, hugely political or, uh, burning of, you know, CDs or something like that. I don't know what it was for folks. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, tapes. tapes, tapes. What <laughs> is Wait, what is it? What's
2: a, what's a tape? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah,
0: a
1: cassette tape. <laughs> yeah. They, uh, all this to say is like, I, I'm a human being. So I am deconstructing, reconstructing all the time. And yet I was spared some of the, I guess cultural baggage that you know when you when I hear people talk about '90s, especially '90s evangelicalism, right? And they're they're in the imperative they've had as a thinking, feeling person to sort of reevaluate all of it. Um, I didn't have that experience. For me, my faith was almost always a refuge and a comfort. It was never um, this millstone around my neck or this project where I was uh, Jesus's personal emissary on on Earth uh and it's given me a vantage point I think to see some of what's going on from a point of compassion um, but um, also from a state of like you know hey if you if you if there's nothing left to reconstruct, if you throw everything out you, do, you, do you really we, we've been there there with the with the mainline churches and uh, that that way is not the right way that, I mean that way lies death too yeah, right. <laughs> And I can, I can see that. And also, you know, you know, if we just completely reshape our faith to fit whatever our cultural paradigms that are prevailing at the time, like that's, that has its own, shall we say liabilities and challenges. Um, So it helps me to see what's good, what's bad. And, and I, I I like to think that uh, to remain engaged with the active heart of the faith, which I think is the forgiveness of sins and the, absolution of the sinner and the promise of eternal life and things, the sort of life and death aspect. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay. I'm, I'm curious. So you, do you feel like a healthy version of Christianity has allows for something to push against? I was stunned. I mean, you're like quoting almost our purpose statement when you say, I feel like healthy Christianity involves a constant state of deconstruction and reconstruction. That has been our stance all along, and part of why we created the podcast because we kept hearing the term deconstruction as though it was like the the chief sin,
0: mm-hmm. and and
2: it was the final sin. And I feel like what and, was and happening, there was
0: yeah, there was like nothing to nothing on the other side of it. Is like okay, I'm just going to take apart what I believe, and I'm not going to do anything.
2: Right. So there was like these two errors. It was you're not allowed to deconstruct at all, or somehow you're you know a horrible person, mm. or you have to deconstruct everything without any intelligent conversations like you either have to ignore that the underwear drawer is outdated or you have to throw out everything in the underwear drawer (laughs) and there's there's no conversation to have like and so we felt like one of the pictures we used from early on was this idea of uh of you know one of those house construction what what were the uh home edition what was it called extreme makeover home edition there you go like and then someone comes up and is like hey move that bus and what's there is a big pile of rubble and you'd go Mm -hmm. seems like Seems like you missed a step somewhere yeah. in there, and so
3: well because on the church side, deconstruction has been treated a lot of times as ultimate sin, but then on the cultural side, it's been highly praised as the goal. Mm-hmm. You know, like <laughs> yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Chris. No,
2: you keep going. That's that's.
3: So it's like the two sides of that of like deconstruction in and of itself is not, um, yeah, the end goal, I guess. But, yeah.
2: So that we want people yeah, to be able to do that. So I, I think it's fascinating that you've got that same perspective.
1: I, I like to think so. I mean, it's painful to deconstruct. and I, I think that sometimes when we dismiss that process from a glib perspective, it, yes, there are ample cultural rewards on offer for those who mm-hmm. um, go through some public denunciation. I mean, let's and to pretend that they're not is naive, I think. Right. Um, right. And yet it there are also, very real, you know, hurts and wounds Mm -hmm. and relationships that falter. And I I think that that is worth taking seriously too, especially if I've, I've listened, um, I actually listened to the testimonies of people who have radically uh, deconstructed. I guess I would say that you can't, um, uh, until you're able to, see the good that was part of that heritage or that uh part of your faith or that your upbringing even if there were some abusive parts i mean let's use that word right but until you can recapture something of the good of it too um you're operating from a, a reactive uh point of view and it's very hard to trust any kind of um full-scale evaluation from that perspective. So I, th- I think the healed person, the reconstructed person can can look at their, um, what they went through and see that it, it, there was some really beautiful parts of it. I was, you know, as, as much pressure was put on me to be kind of a, a, a perfect person, there was also Uh, you know a uh, strong emphasis on uh, the existence of God or something larger than myself there was a there was a culture of like we we were we were reading you know we were and if you I have a lot of friends who um, because I went to very secular schools and like they would come into sort of communities of faith and be like why you guys talk about like real deep things And, and I took that for granted and that was a youth group culture that you know um some people completely look in, in in their rush to say, oh, this youth group damaged me in some way. Well, you're like, well, it also got you to talk seriously about life and death and things that a lot of young people are too distracted or, you know, to mm. ever engage with. And I think that that's a really wonderful thing. Um,
2: I feel and, like, though, you're trying to make me have a sophisticated conversation about something and I'm. I'm not sure I'm okay with that. <laughs> I just, I just need a quick answer, David. Could you just wrap <laughs> well, this up in, mean, a, in a meme?
1: <laughs> don't we see people just flip flop from one sort of form of fundamentalism to another. And and yes. that's, there's something very much in the human spirit that is um, takes that same kind of take no prisoners attitude. Uh, and it's sad. You know, I also think like there's a, um, I went to a Roman Catholic university and, um, there's a lot to be said about, I'd never really experienced, um, there's a Jesuit school at Georgetown in DC. And I'd, I'd never really experienced that culturally. But what I found there was a bunch of people who could identify as Catholic without it being um, the number one thing that was going on at all times in their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and within evangelicalism, it was either you are on fire or you are completely non unbeliever or something like that. Mm-hmm. And there didn't seem to be an option to just be a human being who came <laughs> to church and was an ordinary person and loved God, but, you know, had seasons where they had to be more involved in this or that or the other and any kind of uh, lukewarm that, that 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 is the, you know, that's the biblical word that gets used, but it's right. I always feel that that was used against people. And it's like, if you have the slightest <laughs> doubt
0: <laughs> right, right slightest
1: hesitancy emotionally speaking well then you must not be a Christian and mm-hmm. must it all must come tumbling down and what I experienced among Roman Catholics is like oh yeah you know I'm that's you know uh, even though I have this that or the other reservation I'm still you know Roman Catholic I'm still I'm still a Christian um, and we didn't have that permission in our the subculture that I was exposed to and I, I think that that especially when you're developmentally trying to try to figure out who you are, that's really important to have a little bit of that. The, the leash needs to extend a little bit. Um, like that's how it is with our children. They need to be able to test out some things. Mm. And if, if you're completely disallowed from that, then you just react in the opposite direction. At least that's my experience.
0: Mm. Yeah. And it's an, it's an interesting thing too. And I think you kind of hit on this earlier. Um, there's a question that I had is like, so for instance, we had um, a really outspoken atheist come on Um, And he was brought up in church, but vehemently now speaks against it. But as we dug into his experience, there was a lot of this, like, he was never allowed to use his brain whenever he was, um, whenever he came to Mm -hmm. even church leaders with uh, valid questions that he was struggling with as kind of a a young person, Mm preteen, that he was just constantly dismissed Mm-hmm. Um, and then that really kind of fueled, uh, at least from my perspective, oh, yeah. fueled a so. lot of his disdain and then kind of subsequent, um, deconstruction walking away from faith is like, Hey, look, if, if this is what Christianity is, I don't want any part of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I'm curious, is that, do you see that kind of a trend in some of those testimonies that you have heard or, and what are some some additional trends. And if I'm, if I'm going too far away from where you're tracking, Chris, just kind of let me know. Not
2: at, actually the question I wrote down was that the lack of permission to, to deconstruct since we're using that term Mm -hmm. to ask questions, to doubt, to whatever has been a common theme for people who deconstruct and then get stuck. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: So I'm curious, the fact that it sounds like David, you didn't have that freedom and yet you didn't get stuck.
1: Yeah. Gosh, there's a lot, there's a lot in this. I th- I think that the there's um I don't want to like identify it as a strictly religious tendency because I think mm-hmm. it's a, a human tendency. I don't think that you can be a religious. I really don't, um, at least in the, the sense of needing to find some kind of framework of meaning and uh enoughness, you know, for your own personal some kind of metaphysical framework, even if it's half implied, half uh you know, um spelled out. So, um, but I do think there is a lot of that kind of, you experience some sort of hard shutdown and you run in the opposite direction. Now, I would say that that's, um, usually an emotional response. And I, I mean, I think, as I think one of the things the Bible tells me is that, and, or St. Augustine also talks about this a lot, is that mm-hmm. we're primarily emotional creatures. We're, you know, uh, we are what we love that, that idea that comes from, um, you know, that that the, that's a historically Christian idea is that you can, someone, you can know what they think, but if you really want to know them, you have to figure out what they love. And if you really want to understand their actions, especially their misbehavior, um, you need to understand what what it is that they, what delights them, but also what, where their heart is and where your heart is there, your treasure will be also, I mean, that's Jesus. And so I always find a major uh under the auspices of an intellectual conversation, there's really an emotional conversation, or at least an emotional exchange that needs to occur. And what happened? And I, you say this, and people think, "Oh, it stop psychoanalyzing me, or stop reducing me, or, mm-hmm. or uh, mm-hmm. uh, telling me my own experience." But you know, I, I'm not going to turn my own brain off or have my, my own emotional reactions. So I've heard a lot of these stories, and a lot of times it sounds like something painful happened. Mm. And, right. Um, there, the, the, the painful reaction happened first. And then intellectual arguments were hung upon this, that that came second. Um, But when the church constitutionally can't and cannot accept, or at least uh, um, acknowledge the pain that it has caused. Mm -hmm. Right. um, Because what that person heard was not that they weren't allowed to have a doubt or a question what they heard was that they were wrong to have a doubt or a question and that they were sort of judged for it and um that is that produces judgment tends to not produce what it calls for I I think the the law kind of increases the trespass in these situations so I am always looking for when I hear these an, an atheist speak um uh you know I I just that's such an ironclad position. I I always want to wonder what their experience of life is actually like, because so much of our lives are unclear and wrapped (laughs) up in mystery. And when we're a mystery to ourselves and to have that sort of clarity, I find my faith allows me that to, to sit in that kind of, um, uh, both (laughs) and I guess, or the, the the conundrum, I call it in the book. I wrote doubleness that, the I'm two things at once, uh, and I—that's one of the reasons I find that Christianity so compelling in a lot of ways—is that it allows me not to. That um, I, there's a God, and I'm not. he, you know, so right. I can, I can kind of uh, rest in that, as to to borrow that resting language, uh, and yet. Yeah, so to feel like I have to have a complete 110% commitment to this one area it feels antithetical to actual life. But it, emotions and, and hurts and wounds can be so deep, if they, especially if they happen at a certain age in our lives, you know, um, that it can inform the rest of your life. Just like someone who spends all of their, their entire life trying to prove something to their dad, even if they're, their father's dead, you right. know. It, it, you know, um, Matt, just say that what it's, if it's a heavenly father, you know, it's, it's Stalin, you know, shaking his fist at God before he, the God that he doesn't believe it right before he dies. I think that right. that's a lot of fuel. Yeah. And, it, but if I think about it in terms of pain or a cry for help, then I can have compassion and, and rather than uh, come at them with the same judgment mm-hmm. that they've already experienced.
2: That was, mm-hmm. it, it is intriguing the way that, that uh, his name is David as well, Smalley, and I met was that at an Easter service I I years ago now, probably a long time ago, I had lamented that I had been trying to be invited to any of the free thinker associations in East Texas. Like, just let me come. I'll answer questions. I'll sit on the stage. I'll do whatever you want. I just want to, I would love to answer questions so that you to see, you know, what questions you have. I want to understand you better and and what your perspectives are. And none of them would let me come like i was strictly forbidden like they told me if you show up we will tell you to leave like mm. i was like i think your definition of free thinking is different than mine like i mm-hmm. i think that's that's an intriguing way to deal with it and that didn't change anything and then so david contacted me a, a nationally uh, known atheist and we talked online several times and we had him come to the church and the podcast but i, I agree with you that's that's absolutely the case and and again, it comes back to that. I think you're more somehow you're more certain as to your irreligious perspective than I've ever been to my religious perspective. Like you have, yeah, there's a few things I have colored in pretty with, with a high degree of confidence, but a lot of the rest of it is I'm still, I'm still learning all the time how wrong I am about things. And so, mm. um, anyway, so I, I, this was through these conversations is kind of how we created this. I, I would love to hear David. Was there a time that you feel like that was there a narrow miss for you in regards to, um, man, I, I feel like I I could have easily gotten stuck here. Um, and what, and what helped you in that? Like, what was your, what was the toughest thing for you as you've lived out this life and, st- but stayed with true to the the faith that you called to?
1: Well, the the hardest thing for me, I think the hardest, it's the hardest thing for a lot of uh, people of Christians. Um, It's other Christians. I mean, that's like the, it's other people. I mean, that's the hardest thing about being alive, basically. Mm. Um, But I would say the church and being not just disappointed by the church, but actively antagonized by the church in certain ways, opposed and to feel like the church This this organization, this institution that's supposed to be the bride of Christ acting in ways that seem like, you know, frankly, diabolical, um, that's very, very challenging. I mean, it's not, I'm not just talking about someone telling me I need to vote for the different person, you know, I'm talking about the abuse uh, of like the, you know, whether that be sort of child abuse or spousal abuse or uh you know just the the way that that, that power has worked out its way out in in, in church structures mm. i find to be enormously enormously um dispiriting mm. as a as a person who loves uh, jesus and uh mm. venerates the bible and so as as you get older you're sort of like what is this institution that I'm propping up, or is that what I'm doing? It's gotta be more than that. And I I find that that, that, that the gospel, that Jesus himself, God, the experience of God, is uh, something that has uh, sustaining relevance and uh, of ultimate relevance, in fact, in our lives. And the times when I've taken my eyes off of that and put my hope or trust in this particular Christian project or voice or a church, I've found it dispiriting to the point of wanting to just have nothing to do with it. And I, and I, I, so mm. I, I understand that. And I'm not, I understand it actively in that, like, I've, I'm not ordained, like, and I'm surrounded by people who are ordained, um, you know, and, and are clergy. And I have, I've got my hang-ups run so deep that I can't associate myself any more further than I already have. So, um, Yeah. That's, that's an actively ongoing, ongoing thing. When you, when you read about, you know, those, those, and, and that's, so I, I guess, um, and also, you know, it's not just sort of the abuses in the Catholic church or something, or reading about, you know, the latest clergy, the mega church pastor who's fallen down. I, I do, um, stay attuned to the cycles of shame and, um, abs- and, and, hiddenness, you know, sort of hiding that right. uh, certain forms of evangelicalism have really inculcated in generations of people such that they want anything but that, like that's, if that, that's a, if that's, a, you know, that's kind of what uh, the, the free thinkers society is saying, like that, th- I want anything but that. And I think to myself, gosh, my experience of the, the the God has been as a good news and a comfort and has Mm -hmm. not been, and so far away from anything but that as you get older and you continue to hear horror stories of how people, you know, when they most needed mercy, they were met with the exact opposite by someone claiming to represent Jesus. It's, it's, if you're a feeling person, you just, eventually you're like maybe the structure or the whole thing is just what's, 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 walk away. Let's walk away. And and, and I, so I have tremendous sympathy with, uh, with people who've done that. And, um, I just want to say that like, that's not, but it wasn't for me. You know, I, I know that I I am also surrounded by people who are like, well, the second so-and-so got elected, that's when I knew, you know, and that was just a bridge too far. And I'm just not a very political person. Um, so that wasn't for me. And I, you know, the, the things like the resurrection—that wasn't. Um, I, I, I there's so much to my own life that I can't explain, and and I'm so skeptical of the, or I'm so so uh, aware of the limits of reason um, when it comes to human life. You know, mm-hmm. um, so much of what I value about being alive has nothing to do with logic. You know, it, it, I'm talking about invisible forces like the soul, uh, love uh, forgiveness, these, these things I think operate outside of, um, you know, the, the curse of, of being born to a certain type of parent, you know, the, the, there's so much to me that the most important things in life that are still the things that are dealt with in the Bible and are, you know, that, that are dr- addressed by God. Um, so I, that was never, uh, I was never, It was wasn't like an apologetic argument that I needed to have. It was much more the experiential one of being like, "How is this thing enabling these people to be so awful?" Um, mm. and, and, mm-hmm. they, and you know, I, I do think though. I mean, I I, I think that people will if they want to do something. It, awful they'll find a way to justify it and if they use religious language to do it they'll use religious language if they use political language to do it they'll use that if they want to use economic language to do it that so i I really think that um uh (laughs) if you grow up only in that world and you think well it's it's the religion is the problem or the religious language is the problem once you get out you're like wait a second people are still acting like self-interested. So, and so they're just, they're just, they're using something else to, to justify it. Yes. And, um, it turns out my experience of human beings, uh, is much more, um, I guess universal than, um, uh, so mm. that's, that's what I'd say about that. I, mm.
3: I have a question, David. So as, and I agree with you. So, but as, with all that being true, what's something that's kept you actively involved and in participating in like the church body in spite of that? Um mm. what's what's something that's kept you motivated to still be a part of it?
1: Uh for me, it's it comes down to a couple different things, uh relationships, uh you know, the the my the uh, our pastor or rector is a wonderful wonderful man of God and he's, I think is um not out for himself and not on some large ego trip and, uh, is genuinely interested in proclaiming the gospel to a hurting world. And like, that is, that's the disposition. That's the emotional temperature of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very, I'd say robust faith, you know, it's a, uh, we we're, we're clinging to an old tradition, but, um, that is super compelling. And he's been there and shown up for me when really, Dip, not just difficult, awful things have happened, you know, and I've seen the true colors shine through and I've seen that this is not, he's not just talking about it. Um, there you go. so I'd say that relationships are hugely important in that. I also, you know, I, 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 the liturgy that we do at our church is from, you know, was written in the 16th century and it's, it connects me with something larger than just this current moment. And as our mm-hmm. kind of Temporal bandwidth shrinks, you know, our ability to remember beyond the last five minutes. Mm-hmm. I find that to be deeply countercultural, the allowance for silence, for rest, for um, these virtues that I think have been largely lost um, and for which I crave uh, and the, the, the allowance to feel sad, to be honest, to bring my real self to God. Uh, but ultimately, Brynn, I mean, the real question is like, do I have, do I ex- experience God? Do I, do I, do I come into, do I, do I meet with God in at church? And, you know, maybe it's just the the ultimate evidence of God's grace that he mm-hmm. continues to work through something as broken and in many ways terrible as the church. So, mm-hmm. I mean, but that also means, maybe that means he could use me too. Yeah. Mm.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's the fascinating thing about your answer is like, even though so much of, um, The thing that's been difficult has been people at the same time. Some of the hope that you've found in that is through people like in relationships <laughs> and people who are who are demonstrating an authentic faith, even, you know, not perfect, but authentic. That's that's fascinating. When, yeah,
1: it, it, go ahead. Sorry. No, at the end of the day, we're still talking about forgiveness every every Sunday. And mm-hmm. that's the central thing It's like this. God not only loves you, God forgives you. And like, that is, um, in a, in a culture that feels less and less forgiving. And so many of these affinity groups of, that where you can find some belonging, where you can find some community, mm-hmm. ultimately become, uh, purity spirals, you know, like the, the, the church's caricature is being, but is often experience is not actually, at least the church I've, I've experienced. I find that, um, anywhere that's talking about forgiveness, um, is, is going to feel a little different. Um, at least it has for me. Um, and so at least that's, you can't really get away from that if you're trying to be a Christian in any kind of uh, mm-hmm. uh, substantial way.
2: <laughs> any kind of biblical way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's intriguing that we, what, one of our themes that we keep coming back to is the need for us to um, kind of deconstruct our faith in humans, especially ourselves. Um, and I want to come back to that in a minute because I, I do want to reference the, the book that you recently published that I, was, that I got to hear you speak about. Um, but, but one of the things that stands out to me is I've in this conversation, we've talked about how removing, for example, removing God from a suffering and evil world does not reduce the amount of evil and suffering in the world. It just reduces any hope of redemption of that evil and suffering and in the same way so when people say the problem of evil you know how's there evil if there's a if there's God and I'm like I, I sure don't want to face that evil without God that seems like a bad choice um mm. because the evil's not going anywhere and the suffering's not going anywhere and so um, anyway but what the way you answered that struck me that the same thing would be say removing yourself from the church does not remove the pain that humans can and will cause us mm-hmm. it just, it just means we have a less redemptive place to engage with that. Um, a, yes. less, a less potentially meaningful place to engage in that. It just, I had not put those pieces together as well. I really, that stands yeah. out as significant. And,
3: and your point that I thought was really insightful about, um, I think you said something to the effect of um, the way that power has worked its, out, worked its way in use in the church. And that's really insightful of the same th- thing to your point, Mm. Chris, is it's not that everyone in the church is even authentically following the Lord, but it's like, we're all broken people and people will use power to abuse others. And unfortunately that also means in the church as a, as a body. Um, but if we understand that and we have that under that, that insight to know, like we're broken people, even in the church, um, there is abuse and power that's misused because it's full of broken humans. Mm. And that doesn't have a, that more speaks to what we're like as humans than the body of Christ and the church that God designed and how he, he wants for us to interact in the world. Um, anyway, mm. I thought that was.
1: That's wild. Yeah. That's significant. Well, and religious language is an extremely potent weapon mm-hmm. uh, or, or tool, shall we say it can for good and for ill. Right. And it's, um, it's, you know, you're, you're using the, the threat of uh, hellfire uh, you can um you can get people to uh, follow you for a little while um you know it that's that's a very that's a little different than certain other communities where those things aren't at play yeah. um Gosh. but that means it's just that much more prone to abuse um and as we've seen but and yet again you, you know where, where to whom else shall we go uh, that's the the great question i was just listening to a talk about it and where, where else am I, uh, do I hear about God that, uh, created me, knows me and yet still loves me and is wants to be involved in actual, you know, my actual life rather than some ideal version of my life. I think mm-hmm. that's, that's still to me, um, the great question of being alive, um, is forgiveness possible? Um, And, uh, and, and, and what, what about when we die, what's going on? The two great questions in life to me are the guilt question and the death question. And, um, (laughs) I feel so very strongly that Christianity, that the Bible that Jesus Christ has a lot to say about those things, which I, um, the, the answers I'm given are not, um, uh, trite or, uh, yes, too easy or, or they're not, they're not, yeah, they're not reductive. They're not, they're there's this sort of well that you can continue to go back to but those are the things I'm I'm that keep me up at night or what do I do about all this um my guilt yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) and what about the fact that I'm going to die how do I handle that and my loved ones are going to die loss like what do I that's Mm -hmm.
2: Is there any meaning in that can there be meaning in that those are much
1: more powerful questions than like, what music should I listen to, or you know, when yeah. is it okay to have a beer or something like that. Yes, those are, yes. Those are such such uh, low cal questions. When you get to <laughs> what 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 Christianity is really concerned with is are mm-hmm. the the deepest things imaginable, and yet somehow we've reduced it to. Mm. Tiny, very arbitrary, um not completely arbitrary, but in the in many cases, arbitrary measures of cultural righteousness that has nothing to do with where do I go when I die? How do I right. it, it, what about is, is love possible? Is forgiveness possible? How do I deal with the fact that I'm I'm suffering? Like these are the great questions of life. And so if you reduce mm-hmm. that down to but, um, you know, again, is it okay to dance? You know, when I'm 14, I think, I think you've really sold your, 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 your your heritage for something kind of pathetic.
2: There you go. That's a cheap porridge right there.
3: Yeah. That's (laughs) so interesting. Yeah, That's one thing we talk about with student ministry here is how do we encourage our students to, to go deep and have those really hard questions? Because I think you're right. I think when we, when we limit, the conversations of faith to something so shallow in the spectrum of, of what scripture covers and the life that God offers for us. Like you're saying, not that they're, um, completely irrelevant, but I wonder if that, that adds to deconstruction, especially Uh, for young people of like, well, this is all that, that church is. And, and even Christianity is these conversations about like, um, you know, behavioral modification and, and moralism and things like that then they're missing out on the depth of like you're saying what faith and yes. is and what scripture covers and even the richness of life in Christ instead of just the well I have my list of things that I'm not supposed yeah. to do.
2: Okay, this, this this has jumped out at me. Last week I met with the program team kind of the the student ministry, children's ministry uh wing of of the church's ministry and and it's summer, <laughs> so we've got to start talking about modesty and clothing issues and et cetera. And so the question wants to, (laughs) yeah. And so, and so what we didn't, we were like, listen, we cannot let this become Christianity is about whether or not your fingertips or your shorts are longer. And, and so instead, how do we turn this into a question of what does sacred mean? What does gentleness mean? Like how do we unpack this conversation for our kids so that they understand Listen. This is not about the lengths of shorts. This is about this is an expression of identity, or like something that really has meat to it that mm-hmm. we can say. Don't don't see this as up. Oh, it's it's Christianity, which is primarily about you know how short my skirt Three and is, a half
3: to five inch inseam. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>, exactly. <laughs> so it's which which again may be a practical application of yeah. kindness or modesty or or sacredness, but but to to like you said, to simplify the conversation down to, no, to, that's not even right. I mean, to dumb down the conversation from this, listen, we're not just behavioral mod people here. This is, this is a cosmic conversation that we want to be having. Mm -hmm. That's going to have some very nitty gritty practical application day to day. Do I make my wife's side of the bed or just mine? Like that is a, that's a, that's a really dumb conversation, (laughs) but it may be an application of a massive conversation of sacrifice and it's not about me. And, mm-hmm. and so how do we make sure we're putting those in the right order? Um, and I'm, I'm totally stealing that imagery of selling our heritage for a, a cup of stew. Like that is, mm-hmm. that's exactly how that feels. Like uh, that conversation felt like I had a whole, there's a lineage here. The the, 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 one of us is going to be the line of the snake stomper. And you know mm-hmm. what? I I just decided I'd rather have some porridge right
1: now. Yeah. And and culturally speaking, you might say that we, can we really afford to uh, bed down in those questions? Uh, I mean, I mean, we can once in, in within our communities and things like that. And I agree a hundred percent that there's reasons why Christians believe in modesty. Like it's it's not, it's not an, it's not meant to be a huge cruelty thing or oppressive (laughs) thing. In fact, there's, there's love. Uh, we believe mm-hmm. that there's sort of some, some love actually animating some of those questions. And right. yet, mm-hmm. if know. you're, if you're nine years old and that's, that's, you receive a kind of a, some kind of huge no about some skirt you wore by mistake. Uh, and that's that you're, you're not going to hear the deeper conversation. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and I don't want to blame those kids for um, that being what they heard. Like, mm-hmm. how do we, because because a lot of it, boils down to, um, you know, the, the the reason sometimes people get shut down is the insecurity of the pastor Mm. or the Christian. And they think that you feel personally threatened by someone's, uh, insecure, like, uh, um, problem with the faith. And I think uh, that we, we need to be more willing to let, um, to say, okay, are, are, am I only hearing some sort of threat to me or am I hearing an actual question there? Mm. How can I engage the question while also not, not bringing my own fears to the table? And um, I found, so I was a youth minister for five years before I started Mockingbird and it, it really can be, I, I, I highly suggest it to, to people for the sake of, I think youth ministry is wonderful. And I think it bears amazing fruit. And, um, I've worked with college students here in Virginia for a long time. And I, but you know, what I found was that when I dealt with parents, they were really predominantly concerned with two things. They were concerned with alcohol and with sex. Mm -hmm. And like that was, and, and they really, it was, they were, Yes, they were wanted to the child to have an active relationship with Jesus Christ, but their anxiety about those two things. I don't mm-hmm. want them to get someone pregnant or become pregnant, and I don't want them to have a drunk driving accident. Um, mm-hmm. those are real fears of I'm a parent now and I understand it. You of course we want to protect people from those things, but As a result, it became, um, if that's what all I was there to do was to enforce two things that would sort of almost expire when they got married or when they turned 21, then that was a very pathetic, uh, active, like, uh, um, vocation that I was pursuing. Yes. Mm -hmm. And what I noticed was that if I were able to give the kids to try to bring them into the deeper questions, those conversations, even if they had a period where they said, oh, to hell with this, I'm not interested. Um, I've watched as one by one, almost every single one has come back to the faith in a, in a meaningful way mm-hmm. because I, um, for whatever reason, I uh, felt like God answered my prayer that I wasn't, um, didn't bring, mm. I didn't shut them, shut them down. Like part of having faith that God is in control is allowing someone to Have a little bit of a wilderness period, such that they might come back for themselves, and that's not that's not been given um, any kind of airing among um, a certain type of uh, clergy, right? Um, But I've watched, and and I mean, like I I I hate I I usually am the sort of uh, preacher who never gives a uh, an illustration that makes them look good. Um, <laughs> because for time, I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm not I'm not towing the line enough. I'm not coming down on them enough about their, you know, their dating relationships or something like that. But by keeping the conversation on life and death, the possibility of forgiveness, the veracity of God's existence. Um, I've just watched as when 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 this real storms have hit these young people who are now in their 30s they've looked to the church to help them rather than as a place where they're going to get another slammed door. Yep. And and it might've been, I might've been born out of hubris when I was younger. I was afraid to have those conversations with kids. You know, God could have used my cowardice in certain ways or culturally. I knew that I'd get in trouble if I talked too much about, you know, (laughs) uh, premarital sex or something like that. But I, I just have watched, that they they felt like the church was a place they could go to when problems came um yeah and that's mm-hmm. a beautiful thing mm-hmm.
2: so you really just kind of i mean I, I, you might not to like to coin this phrase but you focused your attention really on christ and him crucified
1: absolutely 100 yeah. percent you might 100
2: <laughs> you should coin that to copyright that while it's still out there
3: <laughs> that's um, great.
2: I, yeah. I
0: so. thank you for joining us for this episode of reconstructed faith if you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review. It'll help other people find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at southspring.org. Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up. Trust God. Search for answers.